0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is founder and lead financial advisor of Clear Vista Financial, Mark Trice. Thank you for joining me, Mark. I'm sure our listeners are going to get a huge amount of value today. I'm glad that you're here to share with us. My favorite way to begin my podcast, if you've listened to any of them in the past, is to have each one of my guests share their journey. How did you get where you are today? You know, what were the obstacles and, and opportunities that you saw as you were choosing this honorable profession that you've chosen?
1: You know, I, I'm a, a late entry into financial advising, uh, entered into the business in 2008, picked a perfect year to do that. And uh, really, mainly because, Amy, I had I had come out of the world where I was chief marketing officer for some large accounting firm, large law firms and really began to get frustrated with the fact that I was making money for a lot of other people except for myself. And so um, I've been called, I believe, and led to going into financial advising for a number of years, number of years, even in starting in my late teens, where I began to help people at church and things like that with just general financial stuff. And it was really, um, you know, the events of 2008, that really prompted me to go ahead and take the leap. But I could tell you that it was rather scary. Of course, you had this big financial crisis that happened towards the end of the year. And oh, by the way, um, you're gonna go with an independent broker dealer and you are going to start from zero. And so trying to you know build a business from scratch was quite challenging, and uh, you know, the first three or four years wasn't for sure if this was really the right business for me. But you know, all things proved out uh, well, and began to see that trajectory curve up more so after the fourth or fifth year, where it was more consistent. And I think a lot of that had to do with how we set up the business and how we chose to bring on new clients.
0: That's a great, great segue. You've seen a lot of growth since you started in two thousand eight. Uh, I believe you now have seven central Texas locations. Talk about the team, talk about what the structure looks like, and what are some of the key contributors to your growth?
1: Well, I think having a great team is essential. And, you know, we started early on trying to make sure that our client had someone that they could call into the office and talk to if I wasn't available. You know, when we first start out as advisors, you know, we give everyone our cell phone and later regret that sometimes because they're calling you all the time. So building out that team was important. But I think what was critical for us, and this is the reason we have the locations that we have around Central Texas, is we formed strategic partnerships with credit unions. And that enabled us to uh, go in to see a captive audience, if you will, of credit union members that were uh, captive to their particular situation there. It really helped us quite a bit because we instantly had credibility because the credit union was allowing us to work with members. And so we did that I think also was critical was having partnerships with groups like Kingdom Advisors. Uh, We started early on with doing a lot of live workshops and seminars. I know that's evolved over the years to doing more webinars than live events with COVID. But those partnerships were really critical to us uh, having that early stages of success and really began to bloom beyond that once we established, you know, a, a foothold and began to get traction and and growth in the business. As
0: you've got um, different individuals, I'm assuming, inside these credit unions, inside these locations, does it require you, are you able to kind of maintain one unified culture and approach? Or based on the location and or the actual credit union you're in, do you have to make changes or what kind of change? How do you approach that?
1: Well, sometimes sometimes as you're recruiting, you know, someone may come in and they've only got a series six. And, you know, we really want all our advisors to have series Seven and 66 or 65 because we are focused on the advisory side of the business. We are charging a fee for that service, uh, for investment management and for financial planning. And we feel like that's where the future of our business is going. So but we've tried to maintain a constant, a consistent brand throughout all those additional team members working with us, they're going to follow our brand. They're going to follow the same messaging we use. We we help them with their marketing by sending out some of the same things we might do in our central office, but we share that brand. We share that marketing resources there for them. So really, if you had to look at it, we're trying to create an environment at Clear Vista Financial uh, as a destination firm for advisors that want to practice like we do.
0: That's great. Um, A lot of that direction, I think, is the future and in some ways more attractive to the future generations of planners than perhaps the traditional, you know, I want to start as a solo and hang my own shingle and do my own thing. They enjoy working to some extent as a team and and joining an, an entity.
1: Yeah. And we just don't see that many people that are willing to take the risk to go out on their own and do it completely by themselves.
0: Yeah, that's great. A very significant competitive advantage, in my opinion. So then let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the clients. What do the clients look like that you serve? What attributes uh, do they have? Who is a perfect fit for working with your company?
1: Well, you know, we work with teachers, doctors, nurses, and so forth. One of our financial institutions is on the hospital campus. And so we work with a lot of health professionals. But really, ideally, we're looking for someone that has above a certain threshold of assets, but really, they do not want to be involved in the day-to-day management or financial planning. We don't work with a lot of do-it-yourselfers. We do offer advice for a fee for folks that just want to do it themselves, but those are not ideal clients for us when it comes to investment management. So really, the, the, the perfect client is someone that is approaching that retirement zone, if you will, and they realize they need professional help to help guide them into retirement and through retirement. And those are our ideal, ideal clients because we love working with them because they want someone that's just going to be their advisor, their guide. That's what we're looking for. And we tend to relate very well with folks uh, that fit that profile.
0: Do you find yourself doing any multi-generational planning as it relates to that?
1: We do some, but it's really along the lines of we've got mom and dad who have done well, and we're trying to prepare the next generation to inherit that wealth. We do that through uh, philanthropy and and letting those families uh, set up charitable giving type vehicles and engaging the family through that. And of course, we also try to communicate with them on a regular basis, just you know, a monthly newsletter or something like that, and help them with little different uh, scenarios in their own lives. But it really starts with mom and dad uh, as they prepare the next generation to handle the wealth that they've built or receive themselves.
0: Yeah, makes sense. You talked a little bit earlier about the importance of a team, but uh, let's go into a little bit more detail. What does the support team look like that you've had to structure it? for lack of a better word, your home base for them, not Cambridge, but you, what does that support team have in it? What does it take to support the advisors that are out in these locations?
1: Well, you need someone that's going to really be the face of the, of the firm, whether they're in a location somewhere else, or our central location. So having a, a key good executive assistant to kind of answer the phones and make sure that clients are being taken care of is critical in the last 12 months, we made a decision to hire a full-time marketing person, uh, so that individual is helping us with uh, preparation of our podcast, radio show, uh, any types of webinars and live events that we do, and also a, a, and a, a critical piece of our team is not even an employee, and that's our Cambridge office virtual office assistant program. We've been using them for about two or three years uh, now, and they our clients think that my assistant is just part of our team, and oftentimes they'll they won't even call our office. They've got my assistant's number and calling them directly because they know we trained them. If you need a check, call Susan, and so um, we love that. And she really is kind of serves the role of, of uh, client services coordinator, if you will, uh, preparing new paperwork, answering and responding to client requests for money and, and tax forms, etc. But that's so critical. Uh, and then we, I made the decision a couple of years ago to bring on a, essentially a junior advisor that is a non-producing advisor that would be there for us to help us as a paraplanner, also help us with execution of investment uh, decisions and things. And they've been critical and really allowed us to expand our financial planning practice.
0: Glad to hear you say you're getting some value from that virtual assistant program. You know, when
1: Absolutely. We,
0: when we started it so many years ago, over 10 years ago. I really believed that the biggest opportunity there was for solos who just didn't have the interest in hiring a staff. And it has exploded into so many different business models and providing value. It's probably one of the best things we did.
1: Absolutely. Please don't change (laughs) that.
0: I will let them know and I will let Susan know how happy you are. So let's shift gears a little bit. You're a member of our faith-based investing council at Cambridge, which thank you for that. Nothing pleases me more than to know that a lot of the offerings that we have, including virtual assistant or our faith-based investing opportunities are really built by our financial professionals rather than us thinking that we have all the answers. So thank you for contributing and giving your time to us. Tell our listeners a little bit about the work that council does and how does that translate for you to the work you do with your clients?
1: Yeah. And and we want to thank Cambridge for allowing us to do that. It was really enlightening and really refreshing to learn that Cambridge well let advisors do what they really want to do as long as it's legal and and helps the clients and helps them and so uh we we're really excited when this initiative really kind of took off the ground and cambridge has done a great job of of helping us identify and and really um do, dil- do due diligence on faith oriented investments that's just part of the of the bigger overall picture because what we're seeing is a lot of our clients that want to have Advisors that share their their faith and values. The investment part of it is just the transactional side. That's just one little part of it. And it's important. And we've seen that uh, menu of options that are out there grow from maybe five or so mutual funds five, six years ago to now at last count, we counted over about 70, 75, somewhere in there of ETFs, mutual funds, et cetera, because it's, there's a demand for it. Now we're not seeing that demand translate yet into our clients wanting to go into f- faith oriented type funds. And I think if, if we just leave it at the investment side of the stuff, we're missing the larger opportunity. Otherwise, it just becomes part of the ESG component. And people can go and buy that as investment. What we're really focused on is how are we seeing and having those conversations about people's values about their faith? How do we implement it, that into the overall financial plan? So it's not transactional; it's transformational, because um, the the view of the client's worldview, if you will, dramatically impacts their ability and their goals as far as what they want to do with their financial life. And so we've we have a study group that meets every month uh, that that um, on Cambridge Nation. It's the faith based investing group. So we have a study group and we use resources that are available to us, but, you know, we're really talking about how do we have conversations with our clients about what's important to them spiritually and their values, because um, that's so critical. And it's kind of daunting too, because it requires those advisors that have chosen to kind of take that focus to be very knowledgeable on the more than 2000 verses in the Bible, dealing with wealth and possessions, but also learning how to have those conversations and building those relationships that align with that person's values and their faith. And so, you know, there's a lot more, I guess all that to say, Amy, is there's a lot more to do and we really need to invest more time in in helping advisors prepare to have those conversations. And for us, Kingdom Advisors has been a great organization and it's so wonderful that Cambridge is as, as honored and recognized the certified kingdom advisor designation and uh, that was a, a process that a number of advisors have at cambridge they've got that certification and designation but there's a lot more for us to do and it takes a constant effort and we're thankful for the resources that cambridge has has provided to us to be able to have that venue if you will or platform to have those conversations with advisors and helping them prepare to talk to their clients
0: you're welcome. I'm glad that it's um, you know helping you grow and expand in your area of expertise and interest. You certainly you can tell just from your website that you've got a lot of passion for all of this. Do all of the financial planners that you recruit and or put in position embrace the same philosophy? Then is that part of the educational program that you put them through?
1: Yes, because you you want to you want to work with like minded people that share your same values. And, and we've been upfront about that. It can't be a hiring requirement, of course, and it never is. But for independent financial advisors that want to affiliate with us for branding and marketing, et cetera, we, we, might, we like to make sure that, that they, they share the same value. Now, I can't tell you that everybody's on the same page or the same level of comfort in having those conversations, but it really is important for us to be transforming our clients' lives. And we wanna have advisors that feel that same way
0: and how about investors i would have to imagine at one of the credit unions occasionally you may very well run into an investor that perhaps has a different set of values um is this part of the intake process
1: yeah we, we just find out what's important to them and 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 we don't we don't lead with that that's not our marketing stick and i don't want anybody to think that that's that's our marketing niche that we're going after um you know christians or or any type of religion or anything. It's just, we take the time to find out what's important to them. And uh, we make that evident. This is where we stand. And sometimes, you know, when we first started really being more uh, open about our faith, you know, I got a call from one of my top two clients and he's basically kind of gave me a little lecture and said, Hey, you know, I like you, uh, you, you like us, but I didn't expect to get a, a Sunday school lesson from my financial advisor. And so we haven't changed anything. We just said, "Hey, I know where you stand. You know where I stand. You know we can work together, can't we?" And they said, "Of course, yeah, we will like what you're doing." And so, not everybody that we work with is is uh, a Christian or a follower of Christ or anything like that. It's just we make it available for someone that says, "You know, I know I've been, I know I need to be thinking in that way. I don't know how to do it." And so we're prepared to have those conversations with people. But we work with folks in all walks of life.
0: Yeah, the main reason I ask is um, this is not unlike any any other category, but a lesson often learned when you're growing any business, not just financial planning um, or investments, is that sometimes from a branding and marketing perspective, to attract who you want to serve, you have to repel others, and you have to be comfortable. With you know, in your own skin, with yourself and and what you're presenting, that you can to some extent be okay if somebody decides they don't want to work with you. And that's not easy for everybody to learn.
1: It's not. It's not. and and especially when you're starting out in the business, you you'll work with anybody that has a pulse. And then later on, you realize it's like, yeah, I, that one didn't work out really well. they we We butted heads or they didn't treat my staff well, you know, lots of different things. So we're able to use that as a way to screen. And so we may have someone, and just like the do-it-yourselfer versus someone that's willing to advocate the investment management to their advisor. If they want to do everything themselves or they're the the type person that's going to call you every five minutes and want to know why you did this or that, not a good fit for us. And the same is true for when you're growing your practice, you've got to be willing to say, this is who I want to work with. And I'm going to not repel everyone else, but at least say, you know, this is the type of person I want to work with and all others really, they can work with me, but they've got to fit certain criteria in order for me to be able to, to comfort, to accommodate them. So absolutely. absolutely. And everybody, everyone should do that, but it's so hard to do that when you're trying to grow your practice initially.
0: It is, it, it absolutely is. And, but I think when people are first building their business, even though to your point, it's every, anybody that smokes Samir, knowing that, In the business plan, they can get to a place where they can work with people they enjoy and have like values, knowing that there's that opportunity in our business for that kind of success, um, I just think helps them get through those early years a little bit better. Yeah, I think so. So uh, you're also a finance lecturer and a former researcher at George Mason University, I understand. What have you learned about the gaps in financial literacy? How do you feel about that topic? And what do you think we can do to make a difference in that area?
1: Well, our entire firm is based on trying to provide good education to our clients. So regardless of their level of sophistication, we feel that education is important. Early on in my career, I earned the Certified Financial Educator designation, which no one's ever heard of, but it's approved by Cambridge, so I keep using it. But it really was, how do you teach financial literacy to adults? And uh, we actively engage in that, whether it be through our workshops or webinars that we might do online or just simply our radio show. We're trying to help educate people so that they can be, become more sophisticated consumers of financial services. And we really strive on it. we, in fact, we just did a lecture last week for a high school group um, uh, trying to teach them about basics of investing. And, and so that really is one of the the pillars of our firm is try to help people understand what it is they're doing because we've all advisors we all work with people and you instantly realize that this person really doesn't truly understand what they're investing in and as a fiduciary i can't let that happen i have to help them understand what it is to the point where they get comfortable because otherwise this is one of our screening criteria if they aren't up to par on what they're investing in they shouldn't be investing in it and so, you know, we, we've got stories from working for some of our financial institutions, certainly during the, um, the second Iraqi invasion. During that time, we had lots of people coming to us and saying that they wanted to invest in Iraqi dinars, And could we do that? And you could tell that they didn't understand what they were going to be buying or investing. We, we chose not to work with them because we knew that that was not, that was not only, it was suitable maybe, but it wasn't in their best interest. And so, you know, we, we have to make sure that we're constantly educating clients. And we do that through our monthly newsletters, our webinars that we do every month, our radio show, anything we're doing, we're just trying to educate them, our clients about what's going on in the world, in the economy, and with their portfolio.
0: Were you surprised at how little the high school students, and maybe you found this different, but I get the impression that. You know across the country as different financial advisors are co- collaborating with their local school systems, there's not a lot of that going on in the home anymore, perhaps. No, um, in terms of financial literacy. And so there's a gap, right? We need to fill it somehow.
1: We, we we learn from observing our parents. Some some children don't have that advantage to have a parent that engages them. You know, in the state of Texas, there is a curriculum requirement that they teach financial literacy, I, th- I think it's equivalent of about a about a week. Wow. Uh, but it's usually done by the government or civics teacher. And they don't know about financial literacy and financial education things. So we get asked a lot to come in and, and talk about those things. You know, I'm, I don't want to date you, Amy. But when you and I were in high school, we, we learned about finances through maybe a day or two of civics class. And we learned how to balance our checkbook. Well, now we kids don't even have checkbooks anymore and it makes it really hard to set up a, an ach link or something like that with purging but you know they have been had a little exposure to that so we're trying to help teachers do that but even at the college level they're they're desperate for that so advisors that have a passion for teaching need to get out there and really do that cuz that pays off in dividends no those those college students are not your clients necessarily right now but they talk to their professors they talk to others that you know, may end up calling you because of that investment in education. So we're yeah. we're really excited about that.
0: Yeah, good advice. I see that gap as well. I want to go back to something we talked about a little bit earlier and, and delve a little deeper. So a lot of times on my show, I'm talking to financial planners who can give a lot of advice about why they chose financial planning when they were out of college or, you know, early on. You're... Not, not unique you're, of course you're unique as a person but not unique in that you are a second career advisor but it is a little bit more unique i do think that there are you know we, again the the industry talks about the risks and how to attract young people but what were some of the go into a little more detail about what some of the obstacles were that you faced when deciding and, and making that leap from a successful career? In some other area to our industry. And then, you know, what did you reap the benefits you were hoping to by taking those risks? It's all about <laughs> risk and reward, right?
1: Yeah. I, I, you you cannot put a, a value on the independence of working for yourself, having your own business. Yes, there are always cash flow problems when it comes to a, a starting a new business and so forth. I, I had early in my career, I worked with Coopers and got to run one of their entrepreneurship centers uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And back then, it was so easy to uh, get a startup going because, you know, if you had a website and had eyeballs hitting your page, you were going to go public and, in 12 months. And it's crazy, but that wasn't the case. I came from an environment where, you know, I had a staff of about 25 people and a $35 million budget to... Oh, suddenly I don't have any money coming at all. And so we went through our some of our savings to be able to support ourselves while that began to take off. But Amy, when I looked at the at the industry and, and I decided this is where I needed to be, this was my calling. I I, I could either choose a warehouse, I could choose uh, you know, to go to completely as an RIA, or I could be somewhere in the middle with an independent broker dealer that provided me the opportunities of both but wasn't trying to dictate what and how i was going to offer someone to my something to my client and so there were a number of struggles there but we early on wanted to make sure that we were building a business that could repeat itself or have recurring revenue and so as we started out we were doing i we uh uh, it's me myself and i i was doing a lot of of advisory based business, but also some commission based business, whether if an annuity fit in that client's um, portfolio, well, or something like that, maybe do a little bit of that. But everything had a recurring trail. on, And that takes time to develop. And so, as we used to say, in the the startup world, you got to make sure you got to have enough powder, dry powder to survive. And that was, there were a couple of times here that, you know, I call one of my one of my mentors and say, hey, I've got about a week's worth of cash. And I'm going under. And those are times where it's like, okay, what are we going to do to stay alive? And you have to be very creative. And sometimes you have to get that second, you know, a side hustle, if you will, to to make a little bit of money to make ends meet. But if you persevere and you keep going at it and stick to your plan, you will succeed. And one of the great things about Cambridge when we came over in two thousand and sixteen is a really I guess it's an enterprise group now, but when we came over, we we went up to the OSW workshop. And my OSJ and I, uh, as we drove out of the parking lot, he asked me, "What do you think?" And I said, "Well, there is absolutely no reason that if you are a hungry advisor, there's absolutely no reason why you should not be successful at Cambridge because Cambridge has everything you need to grow your business." everything and we' I've been in another broker dealer before and knew didn't realize the limitations that the broker dealer was imposing upon me by not having the resources that I needed to grow. And Cambridge has that. you know you all are constantly innovating and striving to improve, but I think that's really when my my business took off was the, the day that we moved over to Cambridge. And I've been doing well, you know and okay. But it was the day we came over to, came over to Cambridge, that I realized that, hey, this is a platform for my business and a platform for success. And we've got a long ways to go. I mean, we're just, we're still a, a struggling firm, if you will. But that was the day that I saw the trajectory change from just trying to maintain a good lifestyle business to really building a business that one day would be a destination for, and for other advisors and also maybe my retirement plan. So...
0: thank you for those kind words. I think I see over and over again with people that join us that you don't really know what you're missing until you're out um, in terms of whatever environment you're in. And I'm glad to hear that a lot of our tools are helping you grow your organization. That's what keeps us going.
1: So many people make the mistake of saying, what's my split? What's your split over at Cambridge? What's that? And it's like, you're missing the big picture. You're missing the picture of the things that are really important to you, there's people need to see the big picture, and and, and I know you all are doing a great job trying to to promote that and let people see that they're considering joining Cambridge. So, yeah,
0: thank you very much. It's great to hear that we're, that things are. That's what gets us up in the morning and uh, keeps us going is knowing that you're getting value out of all those things. Otherwise, why do it? You touched on a really important topic. Just want to dig into a little deeper is mentors, the importance of having a mentor. Talk about that. You mentioned that you you know you had them, you identified them tell our audience a little bit about why that was important and how it helped.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to have, um, a couple of different types of mentors, if you will. You know, I had someone at church who was a stewardship pastor that, uh, also was an RIA himself. It was just kind of a little side hustle or a side hobby for him to be able to do that. But we had worked together and he was really more of a business last spiritual advisor. Um, uh, then we had a couple of other business advisors that helped me. And then of course, I think I picked the right OSJ for me at the time, and that was through you know um, my current OSJ, Casey Pinkard and Ronnie Pinkard, uh, uh, two great men, and really been supportive of me. They still make fun of me from time to time when I when they remind me of the story of me coming in and just saying, you know, hey, I don't think I can do this anymore. And um, they remind that every every com- every uh, commission run <laughs> from now on, they just remind me of that aspect but it's so important that you have those advisors. And I think for a young advisor or or a career transition advisor, you really shouldn't do it alone. You really should go in with someone that can mentor you as you, as you develop and and, uh, educate yourself and grow in that own practice. It's so critical. That's one of the main reasons, Amy, that we chose, you know, we've done it the different ways in the past about bringing people in, but it's more like, Okay, uh, you're going to do this. It's going to be eat what you kill. Here's a little bit of a stipend to get you going. Good luck. And you know, we give them resources and things and you see them struggle. And we really believe that that mentoring process is is going to take a good 4 to 5 years before we're ready to turn them loose into the world and be their own advisor. And and so that's the reason with our our paraplanner investment manager that we hired you know he finished his mba but he's he's working and learning the business got his licenses and everything that he needs there but he is really going to play that role of of a supporting role and that way he can learn how to do business development he can learn how to service clients and he can learn how to manage investments and that just takes time and so we're real critical about that and making sure that we're doing it the right way but for me having those mentors that would walk me off a cliff that would pray with me to about what direction i should be going that would pr- offer me great financial advice on how to manage the business in terms of financials you know hey here's a reasonable uh, margin that you need you know don't be spending too much over here let's focus on this and i still use those folks today because i still i need that because i'm ex- i get excited and get eager it's like all right let's throw a bunch of money at this and see if that works, and and if it sticks to the wall, great. If it doesn't, we don't. We'll go do something else. But I think we found a method, and in a to our madness there with that. But we still, I still in, engage those those mentors, if you will, because they they keep me grounded and focused on what really needs to be done and what's important.
0: Great way of putting it. Thank you for indulging my question around that. I can't express myself how important it is. So I'm glad to get another perspective on it. So I like to wrap up my podcast with some evidence that our industry actually all offers people the ability to do something besides work. We get a bad rap sometimes in financial planning and, and investments that uh, maybe everybody has to be a workaholic and you don't have time to do anything else, uh, which might be why our industry has troubles bringing in sometimes next generations and, and different uh, different groups. So talk about what you enjoy doing outside of work, Mark.
1: Well, uh, I have a little small farm and I spend a lot of time outdoors and just love being out in nature and experiencing that with my family. Uh, a lot of my time is actually taken up with coaching my kids' sports teams and, and things of that nature. But when, any chance I can get out to get out in the, in the woods and cut down a tree or, or clear out some brush, which doesn't sound like fun at all, but for me, it's very relaxing and I, I love doing that. And so that's, that's where I spend a lot of my time is there involved in my church, supporting my kids, uh, sports teams and things. And, and for me, that's a full plate, but those are the things I do to get away from business. And you really have to, if you're, if you're the the entrepreneur, that's really doing this and leading a team, you have to force yourself to go do that because there's always something to do. And one of the things my team has made me commit to this year is I'm going to take a extended vacation where I am not going to touch a computer. I'm not going to answer the phone and to get away and uh, decompress because I I know when I do that, I feel renewed and energized to come back in and and sprint the next race, if you will.
0: Well, congratulations. I think coming full circle to some of what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast is team becomes very important because if you didn't have a team that could do that and allow you to do that, and maybe more importantly, tell you that you need to commit to doing that and that they have it, then, you know, that's where workaholics come from probably.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: You talked about your family. How many children do you have?
1: Have four children, uh, ages, uh, 18 down to eight, two boys and two girls got one going to college next year. And so I, I do have to work a little bit longer to put those kids through college. But we're really excited about that. And, um, you know, what's in store for them. And I've been blessed with some great kids. So
0: that's fantastic. Congratulations. Well, Mark, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. You've got a unique one for sure. And um, sharing your wisdom, most importantly, from my heart, thank you for trusting Cambridge. I'm glad that we can help you grow your business. It's been exciting to watch. Great things happen for you. And uh, you are, once again, a great example of Cambridge Stronger. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcast. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.